listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Good morning and welcome humans to RxSafe. I am Rexy the Robot and you are here at Elevate Your Pharmacy. Please meet me at my docking station at RxSafe booth right in the front where you will see me and a lot of my electronic offspring. <laughs> now I would like to thank RxSafe for sponsoring this program and especially my creator, William who is the one that reactivated me for this program. Now, it is my pleasure to introduce the moderator, Todd Yuri, from the infamous Pharmacy Podcast Network. Todd, he is a real pill. <laughs> Thank you, Rexy. Thank you. Welcome. I am so excited to be back at the NCPA 2023 we're all coming together, all learning from each other, all supporting each other. The organization RxSafe is very special to our publication, uh, one of our very first sponsors. So a show of hands, who's nervous about 2024? That's why you're here. And you're thinking, um, the first quarter of 2024, pharmacies are going to have a retroactive DIR fee from 2023, and the new DIR fees that will occur at the point of sale what does this mean? Well, this means that pharmacies are going to be paying those DIR fees that are normally um, the first part of 2024 until all the retroactive fees have been paid. And this is going to really have a crunch on cash flow. Debbie Marcello, Happier at Home, um, introduce yourself and tell them a little bit about what you're doing with Community Pharmacy. But I'm uh, the CEO and founder of Happier at Home. I'm a registered nurse and have been in home care for probably 30 years. What I'm doing for independent pharmacy owners is giving them a way to be able to expand into the community, expand your services with a private pay source of revenue. Doesn't go through insurances. Uh, so what you would be doing is uh, becoming a happier at home business owner or franchise, and you would provide the services to help your customers, the community, to be able to remain in their homes and independent. Thomas McDowell, owner of McDowell's Pharmacy, is also a franchise owner of Happier at Home. Uh, Thomas, tell us about um, implementation and the uh, fusion of um, community pharmacy services with home care services. So, you know, we're, we're able to, to try to keep our patients adherent from the pharmacy, but we, you know, we don't always know for sure that they're taking the medication. So uh, we felt like Happier Home was an extension of what we're already doing uh, in the home care space. And if you're keeping up with some of the, the major players in the industry, they're all kind of shifting towards care in the home with Caremark buying, signifying, and diving into primary care and Humana, uh, bulk kindred home care. And so we want to be a part of that journey, that healthcare journey beyond the pharmacy, we already have a captive audience and uh, we're a trusted resource and uh, we already have that relationship with our patients. So we're able to uh, be an extension into the home and provide home care services and, and really looking at it as a feeder from both sides. You know, we can uh, get new home care clients and tell them about our adherence packaging program uh, and vice versa. So uh, we're really excited about, you know, connecting those two parts of our business and going beyond just dispensing. You're describing a tactic to take control and generate new revenues that have nothing to do with prescriptions and being able to um, think, what else can this provide? What else can this be used as a marketing source for communications to your community of what you're doing for your community? Um, however, we are talking about DIR fees and DIR fee tactics. So let's go to Tim Mitchell and really understand, Tim, what tactics have you used to successfully reduce your DIR fees? Well, there's there's a lot of different things that we're looking at <clears throat> in our community or in our traditional pharmacy. We actually just recently opened up uh, a cost plus pharmacy. Um, not really the main topic of what I want to talk about today, but uh, which does not deal with any insurance companies. Um, we actually have also been talking with Debbie for the last couple of years about possibly 
moving with a franchise with her. But one of our biggest things, um, and Rana will be, she's the expert as well as our Jerry Med reps, is moving to what used to be called medical home. Now we're calling it long-term care at home. It has actually opened my eyes dramatically. And it, it, if any of you are not doing that, I highly advise you to find out how you can do that right now. Um, so, you know, those are some other ways. We're also looking at the, the Big Tree Medical, um, uh, putting a clinic into our pharmacy, which we'll be doing that, actually having a soft opening on that next month. So a uh, lot of different things that we're doing. Um, the, the medical at home or the long-term care at home has, I, I, I was actually just telling Thomas, we mitigated over six figures in DIR fees for this year. So if that doesn't get your... Uh, uh, you know, attention, then I don't know what will, because that's what's kept us open this year. So I hope I hope I didn't steal your thunder. But that's, that's, where <laughs> no. I, that's really what the message I wanted to get out. Sorry, Tom. I want to talk about I want to talk about medical at home. I kind of want to start with the definition. Rana, you've been our source of information for this for years through NCPA, kind of open us up in our in our, in our um, panel and talk to us about medical at home and long term care at home. Sure, Todd, happy to and Thanks, Tim, for clarifying. We have pivoted in our name for what this is. We, uh, starting in 2019, NCPA's long-term care division made this our number one priority is to get CMS to recognize long-term care medical at home pharmacy services. And in 2021, they did, which is actually quick when you're working with the government and CMS to get them to put something out in two years. But um, they put a memo out that said they realized there's a higher level of pharmacy care that can be provided to a patient residing in their home who otherwise would be in a facility. So that was sort of phase one. Okay, now phase two is actually, besides just a memo recognizing the service, we want a memo or a regulation that mandates payment for the service, right? So that's our, our next phase here. And uh, NCPAs joined forces with the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists and the Senior Care Pharmacy Coalition and a group that includes the long-term care GPOs. It includes uh, several long-term care pharmacy owners. So we formed the Alliance for LTC at Home. So hence Tim's reference, we've moved from medical at home to a LTC at home moniker here. Um, pharmacyathome.org is the website for the Alliance. We've made great inroads in a, in a fairly short time. We formally formed the Alliance a year ago. You know, if you go to that website, we have criteria on there. Of, you know, we've worked as an industry to define what this is. You know, again, at three plus chronic conditions, six plus meds, assistance with two plus, you know, activities of daily living. So we've defined what the services are, and they're mainly a, a playbook off the long-term care pharmacy services provided to Part D patients. And then, you know, we've talked about what patients would qualify for these services. Again, these are folks that would otherwise be in a facility but choose to age in home. So uh, we made great strides in a short amount of time and having a lot of conversations with this administration. This current administration, led by President Biden, is very focused on ways to allow, um, you know, patients to age at home. So uh, there's been a lot of interest in what we're talking about, and our focus is to get CMS again to recognize these services, which they've done, but take it one step further and require a higher level of payment for these services for Part D patients. Dr. Lisa Fast, you are a pharmacy owner and also uh, the owner of DiversifierX, which comes up with uh, tackle box, toolbox ideas of how uh, pharmacy, pharmacy owners are thriving. Um, talk to us about um, a, a, a phrase that you coined, DIRV apocalypse, and um, how you're preparing for that and understanding how to better manage uh, cash flow. Yeah, so I want to let everybody know, like, this change that we're going through for DIRV Ultimately, once we get on the other side of, of the valley, it's going to be a good thing. Like, this is a good change. Um, it, it's going to be painful going through the valley to get to the other side, but the other side brings more transparency, brings more information at that point of adjudication where you can actually decide, you know, am I going to dispense this? Am I not going to dispense this? Because you actually know your reimbursements. Like, it's crazy to think that we've all been operating pharmacies and we honestly really have no true idea what our reimbursements are at that point. So I wanted everybody to know like there, there is hope on the other side, it, but it is going to be a little painful getting there. And the pain comes in the form of cash flow, which 
For financial people like Scotty here is no big deal. He understands cash flow. But most of us who are pharmacists and pharmacy owners, we didn't get MBAs. We didn't go to business school. And so understanding cash flow is kind of this little, I don't really understand it. Um, but it is something you can control. That's what I love teaching pharmacy owners. That's what we help them with. But there, there's actually financial strategies and financial moves that you can make to help improve your cash flow. Um, yes, you want to increase your cash-based services. Like I mean, the RX Safe machine, if you have the Pack My Meds, you should be selling probably just as many, if not more, over the counter supplements and packaging them for people um, rather than just prescriptions. Um, there's the opening up a clinic, like, like uh, was said here. I've myself, we're opening a weight loss clinic. Um, you're doing direct primary care. So there's, there's a lot of different ways you can go into that. So certainly increasing cash based revenue, decreasing reliance on PBMs, non PBM revenue is a great way. But don't forget that there's financial moves too. This is a financial matter and you can help control your cash flow and you're still time. Like it, I know 2024 sometimes seems like it's right around the corner, but we still got three months basically left in 2023. And you can still do a lot of things to shore up your cash flow that'll make sure that you not only get through this valley, but you get to enjoy the green, greener grass on the other side. Thank you. That's a good segue for Scotty Sykes. Before we go to Scotty, we have a question. Mm -hmm. I just want to ask for 2024, you said we can decide whether we're going to fill the script or not. Now, my first question is, sorry if it's a stupid question, but with the PBMs and the contracts that we sign, are we allowed to say, no, I don't want to fill it just because of reimbursement? The second thing is my clientele, 70% of them are 65 and older. If I have an 80 year old at home and say, hey, you know what? your Jardians, I don't want to fill it. Uh, they don't have any means of going somewhere else. It's getting to that point of, are you causing more harm for the patient? Because you know they're not going to be getting it somewhere else and you're at, we're adding more burden. So what, anything that you guys have to you, help yeah. navigate that? You just articulated why we all are struggling because pharmacists are nice people. We actually care about our patients. Um, and there's other ways that you can get patients or drugs. So one of the things that we're doing in my pharmacy, my main pharmacy in Oklahoma is we've started using retail, my meds. So we coordinate the care of those loser drugs. There's just nothing we can do. I have one patient who gets so many bottles of Humalog 400 a month. It costs, it costs us $13,000. We lose 800 on it, you know, because that's the world we're in. So we just can't afford to keep Delish for Humalog. Like it makes no sense. So we coordinate with her mail order pharmacy. We get the Humalog through her mail order. We fill all the rest of her stuff. The Humalog gets shipped to our pharmacy. She picks it all up at our pharmacy or we deliver. I don't remember if she's a delivery patient. But um, and so she's able to get her Humalog, but we're not the ones footing the $800 loss for that particular um, drug. So there's there's decisions that you need to make. Obviously, we never want to leave a patient out and a patient without care. And that's one thing I've been working through with my staff and my pharmacists that are ones making those decisions is if, there, if there's no other option, because we're in some small towns, so it's not like they can go right across the street, maybe to a, a big chain. But it helps us have the information to make the informed decisions. Maybe I fill it this month or I fill it this time, but I come up with something alternative. I give them a 30-day notice. I give them a 90-day notice that you know I'm no longer going to be able to fill this. And for most contracts, the whole gag orders of being able Able to talk about like I can't um, say things have been lifted. However, I will tell all of you here: never say anything disparaging about the PBM because that's still in the contract. Like you can't badmouth the insurance. You 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 can just say things. We're not able to purchase this product low enough. We're not able to get it for whatever reason. You know, at at the price that we need to be able to. Um, just be sure that you never say you know Express Scripts is causing this you know to be bad because that that can get you in trouble. But uh, um, you just have more information to make those informed decisions. I was going to follow up on that. The, the person you described sounded like a long-term care at home patient. So some of those patients that, that are losers on the retail contract suddenly become winners on the long-term care contracts. If you're with a, a long-term care PSAO, GPO, uh, like Jerry Med. And so if you could enroll them in that program and you have to make sure they qualify and that you meet all the, re the requirements to get paid a higher level. But um, homebound 80 year old would be, you know, uh, the ideal client for long term care at home. And and uh, some of the payers that are really bad retail, believe it or not, or you'll become profitable on the brand drugs. 
We're going to come back to creativity and some ideas that are coming out of uh, this session. However, before, I want to go to Scotty and talk about optimizing and tax planning because when we're talking about new revenues, something that I'm at fault in my small business, instead of looking at what I could do with my status quo and improving taxes for myself, I'm always looking at how do I grow, 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 grow. But if we take a pause and think of where we're at in tax planning, which is a very important part of owning a business, but I wanted to turn it over to Scotty. So, you know, the IRS is your silent partner, whether you like it or not. So (laughs) you have to plan, you should absolutely be planning for taxes, Um, you know, with tax rates, 30, 40%, that can add up to a lot of money, a lot of cash flow. Um, if you wait until the end of the year for any strategies, a lot of times you're, you're out of luck. You know, you need to be making moves right now in terms of tax planning, um, and, uh, planning ahead for that. So you can, um, so you're not getting that call on April 15th saying, oh yeah, I need a hundred thousand dollar check. Um, so you want to be getting ahead of that implement strategies now because a lot of things you can do now, um, retirement planning, um, I mean, a whole list of things you can't really do after the end of the year. You have to get ahead of that. And, and to be able to get ahead of that, <clears throat> you have to have fundamental accounting in your pharmacy. Anybody that's listened to us talk, uh, we strongly believe that fundamental accounting is crucial for a pharmacy. And that begins with the balance sheet, uh, making sure that balance sheet's tied down. Um, and once you have that fundamental accounting, not only will you uh, hopefully be able to plan and prepare for taxes, which we're doing right now across our firm, um, you're going to understand your cash flow better, hopefully as well. You're going to know your margins. You're going to know those KPIs. You're going to know that bottom line. You're going to know why your bottom line doesn't mean your bank account um, balance, and you'll be able to follow the cash flow in your pharmacy. It's a little different in every pharmacy, um, but you'll be able to understand and follow your cash flow, and uh, that's that's critical uh, going into the 2024 DRF cliff that we're facing here. And uh, you just got to have it. So that's step one, in my opinion. You have to have those fundamental accounting numbers in place. Thank you, Scotty. Okay, let's let's think about growth. And when I think it uh, think about uh, long term care at home, uh, there is a significant opportunity for our community pharmacies. Who right now is doing adherence packaging in their pharmacy right now? Show of hands. Excellent. And um, who is providing home care services by any chance? Okay. So, uh, Thomas, uh, when I think of extension into the community about uh, home care and the needs of the of the um, of the community that you're in, I think of your model. I think of what you've done with um, Pack My Meds. Is that what it's called? and uh, being able to grow from that. But now you've added on an additional service. So let's talk about the combination of Pack My Meds through RxSafe and adherence packaging and the advantage that you're now going to start um, building w- with your home care services. So when, you know, when we started looking into the medical home or long-term care at home model, uh, I saw some opportunity for once uh, you know, with dispensing because it was just negativity, negativity, losing money, uh, trying to mitigate DR fees. And then there was some, you know, light at the end of that tunnel and it. And NCPA has been doing a ton of work to try to promote that and, and uh, get all the payers to recognize it, get CMS to recognize it and, and kind of force the payers to recognize that higher level of service, which they should, uh, because there's value there in helping keep the patient at home, which lowers cost. Uh, and so we have really tried to go all in on that. And I see that as being, you know, a, a, a model for most community pharmacies because most most of us are doing adherence packaging and most of us do delivery. And that's the two biggest checkoffs as far as infrastructure to get started <laughs> on the long term care at home side. And uh, after that, it's just understanding how to qualify them and, and the requirements. And so, you know, I, the happier home home care side, we saw an opportunity to feed into the long-term care at home uh, billing and, and to provide an extra layer of service on the home care side that differentiates us from other home care companies in our area because none of them are run by a pharmacist. 
and none of them can uh, provide adherence packaging and free home delivery like that, you know, in, in a very seamless manner. So we're really working on uh, cohesion between the two companies and, and rolling out those services to everybody in the pharmacy and everybody on the home care side so that they can become patients uh, for both businesses and, and get a higher level of care from both sides than they would otherwise is the goal. Tim, I enjoy your success stories of leveraging adherence packaging. Um, and I want you to share it with um, our crowd today of what you've done and how you've grown your business. And now uh, you're extending and you're growing. Yeah. So, you know, how we started, yeah, of course, I purchased my first, uh, well, the, the only machine that we have, the rapid pack machine back uh, as there was an announcement of a of a, a pandemic occurring and my staff all freaked out when I purchased a piece of equipment that they had to learn how to use, but now they all love it. And, and I will tell you, um, we grew the number of patients. And then when we, when we realized that we could use that as a tool to be able to move into the long-term care at home, we actually took most of those patients that were very complicated patients and automatically converted them over because they all qualified. Uh, so we immediately had, I think, 200 and some odd patients. Now we're up to close to 400 patients that we take care of every month. We have community health workers in our pharmacy um, that are also our pharmacy technicians that um, go over their medication list, go over their social determinants of health, a lot of different things. But I, as I said earlier, <clears throat> I wouldn't be able to continue doing the types of things I'm doing if I hadn't to purchase that machine to, to help me get this, this across the line. Um, so I really do feel like that saved our business for, for this year. I, I, I consider myself a fairly innovative person, um, but you know, I really didn't foresee us being able to do it. I just thought that was another service that we could offer. Um, but it actually has created a much better opportunity for us to be able to offer these long-term care services we're doing other things, but that is, is one of the big things that I wanted to make sure everybody understood about my particular practice and how it saved our practice. I like the layering of what's happening as we're talking. You're hearing about the adherence packaging. You're hearing about medical at home, long-term care services, the supplement business opportunity that that adherence packaging gives you to sell supplements to your, um, to your community that wants to know, what should I be on if I'm on a specific drug that's detrimental to, you know, extracting some substance that isn't in my system? And how do I, how do I become healthier? I might be getting into athletics or sports and sports pharmacy is growing. So before we get into some more of that creativity that I want to share today, let's talk about medical at home patients. And, and I'm wondering like where to even find them and even how to even get started in that as a traditional community pharmacy. Rana, take us through kind of some steps. How do we go from being a pure community pharmacy to moving into that medical and home environment? Sure, happy to. And like I mentioned, when our long-term care division made this their number one priority back in 2019, we wanted to make clear that you do have to have a set of you know, knowledge when it comes to being a long-term care provider and what those criteria are for Part D. So the pharmacyathome.org website for our alliance I referenced earlier, we have some one-pagers on there that'll show you, you know, what's that level of service. Most of you are doing it. It's the adherence packaging. It's the timely delivery. It's the 24-7 availability. You know, you do have to be have an availability 24-7. You do have to either provide or contract out, you know, compound IV services. So there are some extra steps, but again, nothing that should, you know, nothing that's insurmountable. These are things that as healthcare providers and pharmacy owners, you are all able to provide. So it's having those services available and then it's finding those patients who need them. And again, these patients are out there. They're your Part D patients that you may not have realized, you know, shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be sending a, a caretaker into the pharmacy to uh, pick these you know, prescriptions up for them. You can home deliver them and you can qualify that patient as a medical at home patient. And again, you need to go have conversations. If you haven't already, you know, gotten to this space or, or questioning how you do it, go have conversations with the long-term care GPOs. You know, all three of them are here at our convention. They'll be on the expo floor. You know, go, go talk to them about what they're offering and how they can help you get into long-term care. Because a lot of a lot of pharmacy owners don't even know they're doing long-term care and you're already doing it, right? So you just need to, to take it one step further. Make sure you have that service suite, you know, 
um, that you can offer. And then make sure you realize, again, these patients that are on three plus chronic conditions, six plus meds, have uh, problems with two plus activities of daily living. These are your target criteria. You know, these are your criteria for your targeted patients. Work with their physician, get them qualified. I know uh, we really appreciate working with Bill and the RxSafe team. They've included some resources here on your table. You have just a sample attestation form. Again, this will just give you an idea of how you can make sure you have an audit trail and you make sure these patients have been qualified. You're working with their physician. They need at-home care. You know, so again, uh, protect yourself, you know, but also expand your opportunities here. It's a great area that, that we're fighting for you. And again, as I mentioned, we're fighting for you to get real payment, long-term care rates for these at-home patients from the major Part D plans, you know, by making CMS require it. So that's our, that's our ultimate goal with our alliance. There's a blending that we're noticing between community pharmacy and long-term care pharmacy. And I'm going to actually um, talk about uh, building out of community pharmacy and getting deeper into home care, which um, I'm going to be um, asking uh, Debbie to give us some examples of some really successful pharmacies that actually started in Buffalo. Before we do, we have a question. Well, yeah, so we get these patients. Who are you billing and how much are you getting paid? Are you getting paid monthly? And what kind of rates are the insurance companies paying? Or are you billing at cash? I mean, are you talking about medical at home? Or medical at home. So you, you provide your packaging, you provide those services, you're delivering it. Who's well, so, paying for it? So so the, the third party, the same insurance company that they have, just it's a designation on the patient of whether or not they are an, a traditional patient or they're a long-term care at home patient. That's the same insurance company. Now, not every insurance company recognizes long-term care at home. Is that what you're asking me? I get, I don't know. I get, you can get more reimbursement on the, on the medications you put in the packages yes, that you yes, can invite. Yes. But is there another fee that you're, you're billing or, you know, this, no. Oh, okay. No. So like the, <laughs> you made it sound like there's an extra. Like the Jardians that the gentleman mentioned. Yeah. What Thomas just said, you may have been losing money on the retail side. You don't move them over just because you want to make more money. You move them over because they qualify for a long-term care at home patient. And guess what? You might make 30 or $40 on that prescription. I, it may not be, you know, I don't know. Yeah, the, re the reimbursement rate. rates are higher and you don't have DIR fees. So there's no, there's no minus. So it's, 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 a, it's a double win. Yeah, but you do need to qualify. Like what Rana was saying, you need you need to make sure that you qualify uh, that patient because if you get audited and you and you you know submit a, a claim for or a bunch of claims for a particular patient and they're not actually qualified, then you're going to have to answer to that PBM. So it's the same insurance company. Yeah, and I always tell this story: the day we went into CMS yeah. trying to get them to understand what these services look like and this extra level of care that's needed for a home patient. They were like, well, how are we going to make sure PillPack doesn't get paid to do this, right? So that's what we need. We need to make sure it's a community pharmacy <clears throat> providing that higher level of service. You're in your communities. You're delivering to these patients' homes. You know, it's that daily care um, and touch points that you have with your community. So uh, that's what differentiates us in the level of care we provide. Right. Quick question. Um, do you guys ever or thought about getting involved with the nursing aspect of it, like outsourcing that part of it? Like a full service type. I know I have, but I'll let we, Thomas talk to this. We do we do have a nurse on our staff on the home care oh, for the home care company, Happier Home. Uh it's a state requirement in North Carolina. Uh, but I am working on how to integrate that person into the whole model that I'm trying to build with care at home, but I haven't, I haven't done anything. Everybody's community in assisted living and long-term care nursing and skilled nursing, the beds in your community are drying up and there aren't enough facilities to be prepared with what's happening with our uh, baby boomer um, population which is why Debbie's uh, services are, are going to continue to grow and help our community pharmacies grow. Debbie, we talk about the missing bed opportunity, assisted living. There's three categories, assisted living, long-term care, traditional, and then, of course, our skilled nursing. Talk to us about implementation of your services and how it dovetails with what we're talking about uh, long-term care at home. 
So how I found uh, this niche in home care and pharmacies working together and pharmacy owners actually expanding their services into providing the home care uh, is that there are a couple pharmacies in Buffalo, New York, Buffalo Pharmacies, who uh, saw that opportunity because they are providing long-term care in the home uh, for their medication services. They also provide medications to assisted living facilities, um, skilled nursing facilities. And if some of you are thinking proactively, you're approaching independent living facilities because, and, and I know if they were here, they would say they're not faci facilities, they're communities. Um, but traditionally that's what they, what they've been, uh, in independent, in the independent setting, they're basically seniors living in their own apartments and they take care of their medications. So if you could come up with a way to approach these independent communities and supply all of those medications for them, uh, that it, that's one great, uh, way for you to be able to capture larger numbers together. So working with a machine like RxSafe, you're able to be doing the compliance packaging and being able to supply those people in their homes and in independent settings. Uh, and one of the, the ways then it works together with Happier at Home and providing those home care services is uh, some people are forgetful, some people have dementia, and you then will capture that private pay source of revenue by providing the home care patient or the home care uh, attendants or caregivers to remind them to take those medications. And while they're there, uh, being able to help with other things like a bath or uh, preparing a meal, uh, some states, just as Thomas was saying, and we, we help you with the licensure because every state is different. Some states, you don't need licensure to provide home care services. Every state is different, and we would step you through that. Um, but along the line also of where do we find our patients, there was a question earlier. With the Happier at Home model, we that's really one of the things we focus on with our social media marketing it helps. I, I'm one of our a geriatric expert on Fox News uh, every Monday morning talking about any issues having to do with home care or aging in place. So bringing things like the compliance packaging to um, just to the community, uh, making them understand what services are out there and really using a system like this, being able to help people age in place. And um, then while you're helping do that, you're increasing the quality of care. You're continuing, you're helping in that whole continuum of just uh, if they don't need the services at home at first, um, a little at a time, people always, they want to stay home and their needs are just going to continue to increase. So by providing long-term care at home, you're able to help them stay in their place where they want to be in their home. Uh, assisted living, as Todd was saying, and skilled nursing, there's always a wait. There's always a wait list for, for beds. Uh, and especially in memory care, assisted living, very few beds uh, out there. So people are in their home. And if you have someone who has Alzheimer's and you're providing those medications in the home, uh, the caregiver that's helping them stay there 24-7 needs a break also, the home family caregiver. So you're able to provide those services to help them stay home and then capture that increased revenue through your pharmacy as well. Lisa, you help thousands of pharmacies through your organization. What, what other ideas are coming out, not only of your team, but a lot of the great ideas that are coming back to Diversify RX are coming from pharmacy owners as well. So talk to us about expansion of pharmacy services and, and what you're doing. Yeah, uh, a big focus on ours has been on remote patient monitoring or remote physiological monitoring, monitoring and chronic care management, which goes perfectly with the compliance packaging and the long-term care um, piece. If you know, you talk about that extra care that those patients need, the the monitoring, the checking of refills. Um, you know, you might be paid more on the long-term care side through 
you have those contracts. But another thing to do is the remote patient monitoring and chronic care management. It turns all of that time into billable time when you partner with those um, prescribers for those for those patients and and get into that. That's one of that's uh, many of our members have seen great great success. Um, I know uh, one of ours. They do over 800 patients now. Um, they started at the beginning of the year. They make over fifty thousand dollars in extra profit a month, um, and they're not worried about the DIR fee, <laughs> the apocalypse that's coming, you know, they've got their cash flow and it's strong. Um, another area that I just absolutely love is hospice. And I think that goes really well with this kind of level of care um, is hospice is very rewarding clinically. Um, and if you do it right, it can be very rewarding financially as well. And then lastly is, is workers comp. So I, I guess I kind of like working with patients that don't tend to get good care from, from other types of pharmacies, from the chain pharmacies, but workers comp is something that I've done for ever since I opened my very first pharmacy many, many years ago. And, um, those patients typically aren't on a lot of drugs. It's, it's abnormal to them. And if you do workers compensation, right, it can be highly profitable as well as very clinically rewarding as well. So I think all of those kind of fit together. I'm also the, the supplement. I, I love supplements. We all should be selling more supplements. Um, all of you are leaving tens of thousands of dollars. Yes. Tens of thousands of dollars on the table a month. Your community is spending money on crap supplements from the internet because those people are just better marketers than you. And, uh, you all could be selling those supplements, um, from your pharmacy. And, uh, you know, I have several friends and members that sell over a hundred thousand dollars of supplements a month from their pharmacy. And, uh, they tend not to worry about the DIR fee apocalypse too. So I'm listening to pieces of this puzzle, and I think, Scotty, if I have a franchise that becomes a new entity, what what tax benefits are there in being on, in a partnership with my uh, existing uh, traditional, you know, community pharmacy? What's what's the opportunity between um, a new organization and my community pharmacy? Well, you opened a can of worms with that question. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, it all depends, you know, how everything's set up. But, I, you know, overall, the industry is naturally progressing in this direction, as you can see here. Um, and it's critical that pharmacies are getting on board. The compliance packaging piece to the puzzle here is um, a huge step forward. I mean, your patients want it. Um, the, the quality of care that comes along with that is, is very important as well. Um, the tax benefits um, are there. I mean, essentially, you're able to write off that full piece of equipment give, uh, for the most part. Um, so, the, you, know, you're, you know, if you take a $200,000 or $100,000 piece of equipment, you know, and you've got a 30 40% tax rate, that's $30,000, $40,000 of tax savings. Um, so the, the tax benefits are there. The industry's moving in that direction. Um, you just have to make sure you're getting patients on board. We do see pharmacies that get into the medical at home space and they, they're maybe slower to roll it out. They don't put all their uh, energy into it, maybe that they should have. And so it's a, a slower rollout. But those that are into it, like Tim over here, I can tell you it does make a big difference to that bottom line, no doubt about it. Um, and then, you know, everything Lisa's saying here is, is spot on as well. Uh, the supplements. Uh, and doing everything you can from that perspective as well. But you know, from the tax perspective with the compliance packaging, it's there. Um, what, what you have to worry about is what's going to happen in the future. You know, what's Congress going to do uh, the end of this year? What are they going to do next year? Um, are they going to phase out some of these flexible tax rules or not? Um, so that's what you kind of have to worry about. But as of right now, uh, very liberal in terms of depreciation and writing off that piece of equipment. I will just add to that. One of the best ways to increase your profit and increase your cash flow is decrease your taxes. I'm a big <laughs> believer in that. <laughs> uh, most of you are probably overpaying in taxes because you're not using the right accountant and right financial expert. Um, so probably that would be a, a big tip that I would do is if you're, if your accountant deals with more W-2 filings than they do entrepreneur or, or ownership filings, then you need to switch. And, and, and I can tell you, a lot of far I mean, we see a lot of books come through our uh, firm here for pharmacies, and we saw one. I saw one two weeks ago, and there's three hundred thousand dollars of tax issues we identified. So it is very common where there's tax concerns out there, especially for practitioners who, and this is I guess self-serving, but practitioners who don't understand pharmacy, 
um, it does make a difference. And so um, you need to be paying attention to this stuff. I mean, it's very important for you guys, especially, you know, coming in here to this cliff, as we've been talking about. Um, you know, if, if you can save $30,000 in taxes for just, you know, paying attention to it and doing something maybe you could be doing, um, that's $30,000. So you just need to be paying attention to this stuff. Rana, I want to ask you a question because I'm very curious. How fast or how long does it take us to be a community pharmacy and then have all of our paperwork done, work with our PSAO, uh, and move forward as a long-term care at home uh, pharmacy? Yeah, I would ask some of the owners up here, but from my understanding, it can happen pretty seamless. And again, we have all the partners here on the expo floor to go ask those questions. But if you're not already you know, uh, identified as a long-term care pharmacy. If you don't have that separate chain code as an LTC pharmacy, go talk to these guys. It is not a hard process. Okay. So go do it, get the information and, uh, you know, be a part of the NCPA long-term, long-term care division. Cause as I mentioned, if we can just get these big PBMs to pay for LTC at home, that's going to be a huge win for community pharmacy. Once again, the common denominator here is this adherence packaging that's making it so much easier for people to manage their medications when they're on 6, 8, 12, uh, 20 different medications, and it can become so confusing and daunting. But having a, a packaging system that you just rip off your 8 a.m., your 12 p.m., your 3 p.m., 4 p.m. dose, and if there's questions, being able to follow up with your uh, community pharmacy and find out, um, you know, what what questions or what you don't understand as a patient so much easier than having all of those um, capsules and bottles of medication sitting around. Um, I want to go back to Thomas and ask about supplements. How, how have you used this uh, adherence packaging to kind of expand and start to, to grow your supplement business or supplements in general? Yeah, and I, I do have an RX safe, so I need to say that before so Bill won't get me. Uh, after the session, so uh, we have a strip pouch packaging robot, uh, the rapid pack, and and uh, bought that during the pandemic as well. And it's been great for us, and uh, you can really pay for it, it'll pay for itself with the long term care at home if you get enough patients into it. Uh, but we're still growing on the supplement side, but I agree there's a huge opportunity there. The patients are buying them elsewhere, they're going to GNC or wherever, Amazon. Uh, but once, you know, when we start stepping out and having those conversations with patients, they're so much more receptive to, to our advice and recommendations. So uh, we're actively pursuing opportunities to incorporate that. We, of course, package supplements uh, alongside prescriptions in, in our rapid pack. But we also have some patients where we strictly just do uh, supplements and uh, they're younger. And, and I think there's a huge demographic there to market to as far as supplements and uh, they're looking for it's just you gotta let them know that you can do it tim you said something to me i think it was last year about rolling out new programs what what have you had the most success with in leveraging adherence packaging and in, in, in building out your business is there anything that you haven't talked to about um about how that ties into expansion of your business you know the the medical at home part of it is is my number one kicker, and I've I've mentioned that before. But you know we've we're not able to do. Sorry, my throat's a little dry. We're not able to do uh, supplements in in our state uh, without prescription. So we do we if someone wants supplements, we we will call and be able to do that. So that's not been something we've been real successful at. Although I will say the patients that come in. That are, that we recognize as a p potential patient for our, our rapid pack, we actually uh, ask them if they're taking supplements, and probably nine out of ten of them are. Um, and so then we they weren't purchasing them from us originally, so now they are purchasing from us, and we are able to pack those in there uh, with their other medicines, like what Thomas does. So that that's probably been one of our biggest, you know kicks as far as things that we've been able to do that's helped our store stay alive and help us be able to take care of our community. Um, lots of different things on the horizon. I'm excited about 24. I know people are scared and I'm worried about DIR, but I will tell you the opportunities that NCPA is bringing, the opportunities that um, we have with um, all these different 
opportunities that are popping up are really exciting for me that I mentioned earlier, uh, personally, and I think for our profession. I'm an active with CPSN as well, so that helps. So, Do we have the time? It's October 14th today. What's the date today? Yeah, 15th. 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 I always go to uh, the RX Safe team and and... Bill, do we have time to implement an, a, a rapid pack system right now in order to, to get going for this common denominator? And he's shaking his head yes. Um, and it's, that's it. It's, the, it's starting somewhere. And all the, all, I also want to make, and, and it's a show of hands of one of the panelists, it's the communication with your physicians and letting them know that you're doing this. And I'm not just talking about adherence package. I'm talking about medical at home as well. Communicating that to the physicians. Who's been a good communicator with your physicians in your community? You? Debbie? Yes, I have. Yeah, it, it is all part of, uh, with, I think that a lot of the pharmacy owners or pharmacists don't realize how much of a hub you are yep. uh, and that there's. And, and really provide so many things to them, so many different types of services as an entrepreneur. Um, but being able to put yourself out there as that expert, um, Thomas has a TikTok channel and talk about how to reach the community and uh, talk about your supplements to the younger uh, generations that ha I'm sure has helped him. But being able to market yourself and market your services to your uh, referral partners. You know, we were talking about Buffalo Pharmacies starting up their Happier at Home company. Uh, he naturally had those connections with um, the transitional <coughs> care units, but it's really connecting with your referral partners with the healthcare continuum so they could refer their patients to you because they, you know, you know that it really helps them to save money uh, or retain the money that they've made if they, if patients go into the hospital and they don't return for those that thirty day period afterwards. So really um, connecting and having that communication with all of those in the healthcare continuum helps. Oh, I want to thank everyone. Uh, we have a question. Oh, yes. Uh, thank you. I apologize if I missed this. Um, but are any of you using CHWs in this process? If not, why not? And if you are, how are you using? Yes, we are. In fact, <clears throat> I think two years ago, we had one of our pharmacists go through the fellowship. That was her project, was implementing uh, the medical at home into our pharmacy, as well as uh, using community health workers to produce the app. Uh, it's changed the way our, pharmac or our pharmacists and our pharmacy technicians uh, look at patients and deal with patients. I actually went through a community health worker course myself, uh, and I'm a community health worker. Um, but I will tell you, you know, community, community health, and I don't mean this to be a discussion about community health workers altogether, but I found that using community health workers, when I use that term, people actually are more receptive to me than if I say my technician or my pharmacist. I don't know why. Um, even payers uh, are, are noticing what's going on. So uh, if you'd like to know more, I'd be glad to chat with you afterwards. But it, it, I think it's a vital part of pharmacy. I really do. So, Thank you. Yeah. Any other questions? I'm going to get you this microphone. I would just, can you hear me now? I would just like to add to the topic of community health worker. I'm actually a pharmacy technician. And what the community health worker does is expand the reach for your technician team to um, in, engage in the patient care process at a level at CHW that they cannot do as a technician. So it's really an enhancement of their skill set and an enhancement to their engagement on patient care. So often we're hearing about a CHW as doing great things, being billable, et cetera. But look at it as an enhancement to your technician team already. I agree. Here, here. Thank you. Thank you. Question. Question. Heather's got the microphone. For the medical at home patients, are they also signing something too to say, hey, I'm a medical at home patient? 
And the only reason I ask is because say you're in a situation where they are out with their caregiver and saw a doctor and got something and then stopped by your pharmacy to get it right away. Do you just say, sorry, go home, no. we'll deliver it to you? No, we, we can still fill things on a, on a um, acute care basis. That's not a, not an issue. Okay. They, they do, they do sign an attestation, but it's not necessarily required that the patient signs it. Okay. Um, I mean, they can, I should say. Um, the biggest thing is, is that we document that and then we keep that in their file uh, and we keep that document, keep that updated on a regular basis. So we try to do it annually, but if there's any kind of status change in the patient, then, you know, like healthcare wise or whatever, then we're able to document then as well. So, All right. And going into the med packaging, what policy did you kind of create for whenever there's a med change in the pack maybe needs to be redone? Do you want to go ahead and get that? <laughs> sure. Um, like in the middle of the month. Yeah. Anytime, really. Yeah. Um, if they're, if we're able to guide them on what to take out, We'll try to go that route. Uh, but if we feel like they can't do that, then we'll we'll have them bring it in or we'll send the driver out there and we'll cut it open and redo it. No charge. Mm -mm. Yeah, it is a pain. Yeah. It is a pain. It doesn't but. happen. It doesn't happen as often no, as you would think it does. Once they get pretty stable on the packaging, it really does not. I mean, I would say we have 500 patients packaged and maybe three to five times a month max. Sometimes less. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking for the at-home patients that are under that contract, then I guess you kind of have to do <clears throat> do the nice thing. And yeah, if you can't coach them through it. I mean, we do the packaging, and so it, it does show you on the stickers that we print out, like what each pill is, what it looks like, and everything. But we do get those requests to redo them at the worst time. Yeah, yeah it's, then, it's a pain. We hadn't found a perfect way to avoid that, but... Yeah, I charge. <laughs> Probably a good idea. So when you do the packing, uh, customized packing, what Part D plans are honoring the differential pay? Because uh, to my knowledge, we, Caremark we, is not... There's no CE associated. Yeah, Caremark is still paying the same fee or taking the same... They're yeah. not recognizing the... ESI and Optum. Only Optum, right? ESI too. And well care is going ESI, so there'll be even more okay. patients in 2024. So that's, you know, that I was didn't like when I saw well care was doing that because I know ESI's brand rates, but uh, that'll be a good thing for the medical at home population. Um, and their NCPA is working hard on getting CMS to get the other ones to play ball. Uh, so it's a good portion of Medicare patients, depending on what area you're. You know, you're at. Yeah, and talk to the LTC GPOs, as I mentioned, because you have to make sure you're doing the right patient residence coding, et cetera. So just uh, make sure that you're talking to them about what to do and what the different payers are offering. But there's definitely opportunities with some payers. Thank you. If anyone has any questions about anything that you've we've talked about today, please go to the RX Safe booth and we will get you in, in touch with either one of these pa amazing panelists or uh, someone within your specific state to, to help you answer questions. But I want to thank you for attending today's luncheon. Um, I want to thank you more importantly for being community pharmacies because your communities desperately need you. Thank you.